Welcome back to another episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hi, Toddy. Good to be with you again, friends, bringing you another edition of the Monster Mash. And again, my name is Grizzly Abner, and I chose the taking of Deborah Logan. Hi there. I'm Professor Wagstaff, and I picked the cabin in the woods. Venomous Vinny here. I chose the old dark house. And Hatati, I chose scary stories to tell in the dark. All right. Uh, just a reminder, friends, that the audio quality is not up to snuff as much as we would like it to be because it is Corona Mania still, and we are recording in separate hideout bunkers. And so uh, just bear with us. And uh, we, we still want to do the show. We still want to bring you some, some good content, but just little lacking on the audio quality as we record over Zoom. So, uh, we're going to start with The Old Dark House. Toddy, dates and details. The Old Dark House, 1932, starring a young Boris Karloff, uh, Melvin Douglas, Charles Lofton, Gloria Stewart, yes, the same lady from Titanic, Lillian Bond, Raymond Massey, and directed by James Well. Don't you ever disrespect <laughs> Charles Lawton like that in my presence <laughs> ever again. You're mad over Gloria Stewart. <laughs> you guys know I'm a mark for Charles Lawton. Yeah, you're damn right. Um, all right, Vinny, why did you pick Zeal Dark House? It has been in my queue for a while. I've never seen it, uh, but I. it's a Karloff flick I'd never seen. Jack Pierce did the makeup on this one, the same guy who created the iconic Frankenstein makeup on Karloff, directed by the same guy who directed the first two Frankenstein films. Uh, so it was on my list of something I wanted to check out. I had heard about it here and there and just wanted to see for myself what it was about. Okay. Uh, this is my first viewing. What about you, Professor? Uh, I've seen this a handful of times. Um, I grew up in a house that was uh, obsessed with the uh, legacy of Universal Horse, um, ranging from the absolute bottom of the barrel to the best offerings they had. So uh, this was more historically important. So while it wasn't necessarily something even that my father loved, <laughs> It was a movie I was familiar with from a young age, um, dating back to, I remember him getting uh, really horrible, muddy prints of this film, like to the point where the people were almost just white blobs. I mean, it used it to was, be... It was lost at one time, wasn't it? Like, it was a lost film at one time, right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's an interesting story behind that. If we get time, I'll go, I can go into. But yeah, this is one that I have, uh, I've seen a handful of times. Um, that, and I think more than 
what you see on screen in terms of just sheer rating of, of entertainment value, I think historically it's, it's a pretty important movie and, and worth discussing for somebody who's interested in, in kind of the architecture of, of horror as we know it today. Was this the follow-up to Frankenstein? Was this Karloff's next film after that success? It was his next horror film. He made a okay. movie called Night World where he plays a nightclub owner after Frankenstein, and it bombed. Um, and so this was a big gimmick for him. That's why they bill gotcha. him with just the name in the credits that you see. I like that uh, his short answer is, uh, well, my house was educated people, so yeah, we watched <laughs> it uh, every year. <laughs> <laughs> while y'all were Professor... watching Quigley Down Under. <laughs> <laughs> Professor pulled that scene from Step Brothers. He was like, you and your mom are hillbillies. I mean, we grew up watching the Police Academy films. Well, you know what? There's give and take to everything. I didn't see the Goonies till I was 18. So, there we go. Wow. Uh, my first viewing actually was last Halloween. Uh, it kind of fell on, it fit in with whatever topic of the day of the list I was doing. Um, so I had never seen it and I, um, I think it was on Shutter at the time. And so I watched it about a year ago. Um, but also, uh, cause I, for some reason I didn't realize I'm familiar with the title. I did not realize that James Well directed it. Um, so yeah, but, uh, you know, essentially it's just, um, it's like Rocky Horror, but less singing. So <laughs> well, I like the movie better I'm, when it was called House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> Or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Are you trying to tell me that Rob Zombie may have borrowed a concept? <laughs> Great, a whole well, family of Draculas. Just a, um, uh, a heads up, you know, for anybody who are huge Titanic fans, you get Rose when she's very young as the female in this, Gloria Stewart. So, perfect double feature. <laughs> <laughs> they complement each other very well. <laughs> it, I remember learning that when I was younger and it blowing my mind that <laughs> she spanned that long in film. Wow. Which one is she? Is she the first couple to arrive or is she the overly dramatic one to come in as the second group? The blonde or the brunette? She's the blonde. Okay. First couple. Gotcha. I thought you were going to ask in Titanic. <laughs> like, like, she's the <laughs> old lady. Is she the one that's the beard or... Um... Or the other one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to actually pull out my armpit hair and glue it to my face for this recording, but <laughs> held on. All right, Vinny, give us a brief synopsis. <laughs> uh, it is a concept that I think we're all familiar with. There are two couples. They're out driving. In, uh, they're in Great Britain, correct? <clears throat> and uh, somewhere around there. Anyway, Wales. Wales. Wales, all right. They... Uh, are in a terrible, terrible thunderstorm. The roads are washing out. Basically, they have nowhere to go, so they walk up to this old, dark house. Like the title! <laughs> uh, I want to pause you real quick. I love that just how uh, equipped the cars of 1932 were for off-roading driving that they were doing. <laughs> And so they they go to this old dark house, knock on the door. This lurch from the Adams family looking (laughs) MFR opens the door. They go in. uh, 
there's a very eccentric family living there consisting of an uh, older elderly brother, his older elderly sister, and the mute butler is what we are introduced to initially. They begrudgingly allow them to stay at the house. Another pair of travelers show up, a couple, and scary things ensue. And it was really weird that the the older sister was named Mama Firefly, and the <laughs> uh, Otis, uh, what's the brother's name? <laughs> Otis. Yes, I think that you left out too that while they were driving, they also lost cell phone reception. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, the old FaceTime debate. (laughs) It wasn't FaceTime; it was just the camera on their phone. No, was the uh, was the 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 crazy sister? Was that was she in a lot of other? Was she like the Invisible Man? Is that the same woman? Did she scream all of her lines know. in all of her films? <laughs> I do not know. That's a professor. So, uh, so initial. What are your initial thoughts on this? Or do we, do we? How do we want to handle this? How do you want to go from here? I would just jump right into the ending because it's such a simple plot. It's not worth and so tagging. abrupt. Yeah, <laughs> and then we can do thoughts after that. How's it play so, out? So it turns out there is another brother that is locked away upstairs because they run into what I originally thought was an old man asleep in the bed (laughs) because of his beard. Turns out was Bluto. Uh, (laughs) But they kept saying it was their dad. It was was an old woman, but they were like dads upstairs. Yeah, yeah, so I don't know. Anyway, I'm not here to judge genders, folks. So they end up saying... There's another one locked upstairs, a brother. He's a pyro. And that Boris Karloff's character, Morgan, the mute butler, basically, when he gets drunk, he gets mean. And he let this brother out. So the brother wants to burn down the house. So there's all this craziness going on with Boris Karloff chasing women like Animal from the Muppet Show. (laughs) (laughs) And you've got the other guy fighting with uh, the crazy pyro guy. Long story short, the crazy brother pyro guy gets killed. The next morning, the rain stops. Your first couple that came through, the married couple, leave to go get help. And the man who was knocked unconscious fighting with the dead guy now proposes to the woman who he met the (laughs) night before. And it says the end. Nailed it. <laughs> you can see clearly now the rain is gone. <laughs> see all obstacles in your way, actually. So, there's the Reader's Digest version, folks. Guys, you want to jump in? You, you hear? You on? Yeah, somebody else take the reins. Go ahead. So I uh, ahead of its time. I did like the the sassy uh, gay character who was with the dancer at first. Uh, when she's like, "I'm I'm I'm going with this guy," he's like, "Well, I expected it." Hey, you talking about my man's Bill, <laughs> played by Charles Lawton. 
Okay, Charles, Lawton, so, Charles Lawton is an absolute gem, by the way. Every time yeah. Charles Lawton is in a movie that I watch, he is 100% a completely different character, completely different mannerisms, completely different appearance, completely different voice and speech pattern than he was in the other previous things that you have watched him in. Charles Lawton was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, having him and Ernest Thessinger is the perfect pairing for James Whale humor. So here's the deal. Um, I would not recommend this to every single person listening to the show who just wants casual horror. No. Um, It's important to kind of put that preface on this because this isn't an easy watch, but it is one that can grow on you if you're interested enough. Um, I didn't find it to be that difficult of a watch being the first time around. Granted, I do tend to like older movies anyway, but I kind of felt like even though this movie was rather talky, I didn't feel like it slowed it down. Sure. But it's also important to remember, you know, that a, a lot of people, if they haven't checked out a lot of movies before, like, 1960, That's this fair. could be quite sobering for <laughs> right. them. So um, it, it's made in the pre-code era, and the term you use, talky, it's, it's very heavy in dialogue. It's very stage-like. That's where Whale came from. That's what he excelled at. With that said, it's also equally difficult for many because it's British humor. And it is not forgiving to the American ear. Um, I've seen this movie probably at least a dozen times over the years. And even still, a lot of those jokes do not land with me. And probably never will. That's okay. But there is a nuance to this film that I love. Like putting this on at like one in the morning. It's got so many classic feels to it. um, with, With ideas that we'll see regurgitated throughout horror films ever since. I mean, over and over and over again, the eccentric, weird family having every, you know, the guests up to the dinner table, and it just keeps getting more unsettling, more bizarre. And so there's a lot of that that happens in this. And so from an academic standpoint, there is a ton of interesting things in this film. But I also, you know, understand that not everybody wants that from a horror film. So from the academic standpoint, it's interesting to see whale kind of get to branch out, still staying within the horror genre because he'd made other stuff since Frankenstein that didn't do that well. Same for Karloff. They went back to this as kind of a middle ground where he took a book that he wanted to adapt, which by all accounts is way lengthier and drawn out than this movie is. Um, Lawton, it's his first American film. You get to see Karloff still being built up. So there, there's a lot of interesting things on top of the architecture we've discussed that, that gets used over and over again in films. Um, the new Blu-ray that's been put out over the last couple of years from Cone Group is one of the best restorations you'll see. It looks like a brand new movie. The Cone uh, Group uh, version is the one that's on Shudder that I watched awesome. uh, today. And man, is it crisp. Yeah, it's a that one beautiful. for our for our fans listening. That one is actually also available on YouTube, and that's the version I watched. And the oh, wow. the, the quality is unreal. Cool. Um, one other thing that we alluded to that I do want to mention before I'm done is the the history of this movie being saved by the '60s. It was considered lost. Uh, Universal lost the rights to it. That's why William Castle remade it in the '60s, which, by the way, is unwatchable. I mean, it's that bad. Um, <laughs> And I like William Castle, but it's not good. Is there a uh, Hammer version so, of this? You're probably thinking the William Castle. Yeah. You know, I think they did one as well. 
Did they? Um, but so Universal said that they didn't. Ha- they'd lost it because of the rights. Whether they did or not was, you know, people weren't sure because there was no money to be made off it. They couldn't promote it. So they didn't have the rights. And so a director who became friends with Whale in his remaining years, the director's name was Curtis Harrington. He, it, it became like a, an obsession for him to save this movie because he'd seen it before when it was relatively new and didn't want it to be lost. And so he tried working with William Castle because he thought he might have it. Universal was difficult. Anyways, he eventually got Universal to locate a uh, what they called, I think, a lavender print. And Batman is the only reason we can watch that movie today. It was wow. very, very close to being gone um, because that's how it happens. Enough people are disinterested and can't make money and they start burying it. And then before you know, stuff's pitched, lost, etc. And so he is single-handedly the only reason that that movie exists at this point, which I'm glad that it does because on paper it's way more titillating than what actually is there. And it's a perfect exercise in not obsessing over lost movies too much because while I like it, this thing is an electric from start to finish. And I, I do think it's neat that no matter who has released the movie, they've carted over the same special feature on Harrington Cohen brother or Cohen brothers Cohen group put it out. And it has the same old special feature on Harrington that the old DVDs used to have. So they're keeping his memory attached to the film. So pretty cool. Did, uh, did Brendan Fraser play him in the film? Gods and monsters. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen that movie in a long, long time. I'll just make it stuff up. That's uh, the movie about James Wells where he's trying to diddle. Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, sure. um, this movie did not hit for me. Um, I'm surprised. surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I couldn't, it, I couldn't tell. They, they, I don't know if it was the third or fourth time that people just kept pairing off to go sit in the corner and talk for <laughs> ten minutes, uh, but it just. It's not a bad movie. Like I've seen, obviously seen way worse, but um, I did like the pyro brother that got let out at the end that tried to convince him that he wasn't the crazy one, right? He was like, no, they're crazy. I'm normal. And then he was like, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, then he threw a knife at him like a carnival act. (laughs) Yes, he threw like a dart. He was like, (laughs) Uh, yeah, that was pretty slick. Um. Yeah, I don't have many notes on this one. I'm sorry, I'm not very hopeful. Then I was really hoping when when you said why you picked movies that you would have just said because I wanted Robert to watch this shit. <laughs> You're the only one that spite picks movies. It makes it's me watch it. true. I this this is not Frankenstein. This is not the Wolfman. However, I watched it. I actually watched it this morning. Like I say, first time I've seen it. I enjoyed it. I can see me watching it again. I don't think it's obviously the best thing Universal ever put picked out. I'm not going to pick it to watch with a lot of frequency, but I most certainly will watch this movie again. I tried throwing it on really late one Halloween night during the season when you're when you're having trouble sleeping. It plays way better when when it's quiet outside at night. <laughs> 
I, I, I enjoy the film. I, I agree. It's not um, like um, it's not what they're they're talking about all the time. But I feel like this movie's mentioned a lot, and I think it's just because of uh, how many movies have taken you know basically this plot and made it uh, into their films. So I think that's probably why this movie's talked about so much. And uh, I, it's um, you know Ryan already mentioned that um, don't obsess over movies, but I think if this was lost, people would definitely be very obsessive because it's talked about so much of how um you know how how much uh this kind of like so many horror movies are based off of i kind of thought it would be scarier when i watched it because it's talked mm-hmm. about that much um yeah, it's more of, a, more of a black comedy that. yeah but it's more really more of a black comedy than anything yeah well, is Most- this is this like essentially the first of the genre to be the like stranded at a strange house in the middle of the night it, yeah, in the sense of there was plenty of haunted house stuff, but it was right. always the house that scared you, not right. who was in it. Exactly. And so that's where and it I kind mean, of flipped you on it. And you're talking 32. Sure. How much could have really been made before that? And it's, you know, I tried to I, I tried to give it that kindness while I was watching it. And I'm like, you know, people hadn't seen stuff like this before. So to be stuck in this house in the middle of the Welsh mountains in this terrible flood and you got all these fucking weirdos running around in the house. Like, no, I get it. It's just, it's just not my gig. But no, the minute, I, the minute they showed the one actress in a nightgown slip, I I looked at my wife and I said, "This is pre-code. This has got to be pre-code." What year she was the code introduced? Talked about that. Uh, later that year, I think midway oh, okay. through thirty-two. Uh, Gloria Stewart talked about how absurd it was to have her in that outfit and nobody else. And he wanted her outfit to pop against the chaos. And so she said, what James wanted, James got. She's like, but I thought it was stupid. (laughs) And the old lady was just talking a bunch of weird, crazy shit at her and poking her in the chest. (laughs) (laughs) The super Puritan old woman. Well, this is what Bill Paxton wants to know about when he's asking (laughs) Rose all those years ago. It's not Titanic. (laughs) I do like that it has the, uh, the, like, early... Uh, the early talkies where they, they talk really fast. Like that's how people talk to real life. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh, Johnny. <laughs> I don't know why you're probably in this real house for. Um, I will say uh, <laughs> it, it kind of stood no, out. No, over there. See? See? <laughs> when I first watched it, and it, it definitely stood out in this viewing, is, is when the uh, the brother's coming down the stairs and you just see the hand. And then it's, it's Karloff, which you think is who the hand belongs to. And then it goes back and you see the hand still there. So I think yeah. that's kind of a cool scene. Not only that, also not to be uh, glossed over, the set is awesome in this movie. Yeah, awesome set in this movie, and not for again, not for everybody. But I told I I was not upset that I watched it. Sure. That cool that cool set put me in the mind of like Son of Frankenstein. Yeah, Universal man they they went all out when it came to sets. Especially Whale. He's so, you know, essentially, besides this being like an old Dark House movie, like, you gotta think this is also just a crazy old drunk riling up the crazy brother movie, too. Yeah. 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 This is a precursor to Rain Man. <laughs> I thought that the whole time I watched. Uh, Morgan Babbitt. This is a family reunion movie to me. <laughs> All right. 
All right, so any last thoughts on the old dark house? Check it if you're it's, interested. Yeah, it's a deep cut. If you're into that kind of thing, certainly check this movie out. Yeah. Okay. What's next? Moving right along to Toddy's pick, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. All right, so what he just said, uh, 2019, uh, trying to, to read my own shit, little chicken scratch here, but uh, <laughs> director Andre Overdraw, whatever, I can't even say it, but a uh, story by uh, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, Guillermo del Toro? Yeah. Zoe Margaret stars and um, Michael Garza, Austin Abrams, uh, Dean Norris, Gil Bellows, and uh, of course it's based on the uh, popular 80s books by Alan Schwartz and uh, definitely mentioned illustrated by Stephen Gamble in the old books because I think that's what sticks with most people of the scary story novels. You can count all the time you want because it is a book. Um, Sorry I read. Um, what? What? <laughs> what just happened? What just happened? Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the apocalypse. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that's your essential cast, uh, Professor. You'll appreciate when I, for some reason, think Alvin Schwartz today. I wanted to get around to watching the documentary about him that's on Amazon. And every time I kept thinking of Schwartz, I kept going, Schwartz, <laughs> like Al Pacino and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> I bring greetings from my wife, Mrs. Abigail Schwartz. Toddy, what year did you say that this came out? Uh, this was last year. Okay. Or, well, it was pre, pre-apocalypse, so it gotcha. was more like 10 years ago. It sure does. This is probably my third viewing of the film. And uh, I like Obsessed it. much? <laughs> My wife is. I mean, she's probably seen it a dozen times. But, yeah, no, it's it's fun. Uh, this is my second viewing. Me and Hot Toddy saw it in the theater last year, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, second viewing. First viewing for me. Uh, this was my second viewing. Uh, I think I probably bought it when it first came out and just now getting around to watch it for this. Which is kind of why uh, uh, why I picked it is because I thought, what a better time to uh, kick off the Halloween season than some scary stories. And uh, by the time this episode airs, uh, it'll be early September. And I mean, a couple of days away from September anyways, which in my world means the uh, beginning of Halloween. So whoop, whoop. A, all of September is Halloween Eve. Yes, that's right. Uh, do you want to give us a brief synopsis? Uh, sure. So, um, so scary stories. Um, so be honest, uh, going into it, I, I did, was expecting a, um, uh, I just went blank there on like an anthology. anthology. Yeah, yeah. And so I um, was too. Hey, you know what? Probably a cool take. Instead, uh, they actually are, uh, taking some of the popular stories from scary stories and they blend it into one film, but it's, uh, this, uh, kind of like the early fall getting ready to roll into Halloween, 1968. And um, there's a young girl who um, seems like she likes to write and loves horror movies and has a group of little, kind of like her own little losers club. And um, uh, the one one kid, I can't think of his name, he's kind of a bully. um, He always messes with them every Halloween. So this year they're going to they're going to pull prank on him and 
they uh, end up getting, collecting some uh, turds out of the toilet. He called the <laughs> shit poop. And uh, he, uh, they, they throw it in the car. Um, the bully gets mad. They end up going into this old creepy house. Uh, so the, um, the, the, local, the local haunted dive and, uh, that's got some legends. And they uh, end up in the weird secret room uh, where they find, I think her name was Sarah Bellows. They find her, uh, her book. Sarah of, Bellum. Bellum, sure. Um, Lady Sarah Bellum. So they, um, Lady A. So they, uh, they find her book. Lady A. They, um, they notice there's already some stories in the book and there's legends of how Sarah would read the stories and uh, people would go missing. And um, eventually they start finding themselves part of the stories in the book and uh, things start happening to them. And that's the uh, brief three hour synopsis. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was expecting an anthology film as well. And so I thought it was a pretty fun twist to do it this way. I was frankly a little disappointed that it wasn't an anthology, but that was because of my preconceived notions going in. Yeah, I felt the same way when we left the theater last year. Um, so I was a little bit more prepared on this viewing. Um, I'll be honest. I, I should clarify right up front. This movie is, is fine. It's just, it's not for me. And the reason I say that is I feel like the plot is bloated for no reason and it can't make up its mind on if it's serious and grim or training wheel horror in terms of fun and accessible for younger people based on the genesis of these books and so i really struggle with that i don't understand why we set it back around vietnam and the things that people were facing back then and it's it's a it's too often an occurrence in in Hollywood where we take something that should have been relatively simple and do all kinds of other stuff with it. And so uh, it's saving grace is that they set it at Halloween. And so that makes it something that's worth revisiting for me just because the environment's so good set around that, that, and that's really what I focused on this, this second time around is, is the Halloween aspect to it makes it, uh, much more enjoyable for me because I, like I said, I was disappointed initially when I saw this because I felt like we spent way too much time on a plot we didn't need and way too little time on all of these cool stories that we love these books for. So that's just my, my feelings on it. Is this PG 13? Am I correct? It's PG 13. Okay. You know, it's interesting professor. Um, that when I went to went back to read these stories after seeing the movie, you know, they're only like two or three pages. I didn't remember them being that short. And so, yeah, they're dinky. Yeah. And so in the long run, I'm not, I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just saying like, that's, that's kind of, you make a lot of great points. And that's why I say, I think the movie's just good. It's not great, but I, I that's kind of why I thought it worked was because they were really tiny stories to begin with, but it is sure. busy. It's busy. Like, yeah. I totally agree with you there. It's just like they're trying. They're just throwing a bunch of random. It's it's kitchen sink. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and I should clarify it because I agree. I didn't want this to be like an ABCs of murder where it's just like these two minute vignettes that that would have lost all of the charm. 
but I just something more traditional, maybe a, a sleepover or a campfire and bring some of these things to life out around them. I don't need stuff about a kid dealing with his brother coming back in pieces from the Vietnam war. I like, and being it's just a draft dodger. Yeah. Yeah. It's just too much. Yeah. No, I agree with you there, but the Halloween stuff, great day. I really do like that. I agree with that. Uh, I, I, I think we all are to a degree. I'm a sucker for an anthology. And so, like I said before, that was a disappointment, but that was totally on me for expecting it when I went in. Um, And I really wasn't struck with it's not an anthology until halfway through, you know what I mean? So it's not like I wasn't enjoying it from the start because of that. I did enjoy it, and you're right, the Halloween backdrop absolutely helps because that gives you a seasonal reason to watch it again. Yep. Uh, Watching the asshole kid get fucked up by the scarecrow was like watching Joffrey die in Game of Thrones. Like, I so enjoyed watching that motherfucker get his. All in all, and, and, and this is where we just, this is where individual tastes just differ on the podcast. Whereas I say on the last movie, which was from 1932, I would be more willing to watch that one a second time over the top of this one, but that's only because I'm an, my flavor is more of a, an old-school taste. Not that this was a bad movie. It wasn't. I did like it. Certainly. Because it's, because it's Halloween, I will probably watch it again. I love the drive-in stuff, too, at the beginning. That really but sets I, the tone. Yeah. Yes. But I didn't... My socks weren't blown off by it, I guess is all I'm saying. I didn't... I didn't Dislike it. I did like it. My socks just weren't blown off by it. Yeah. Unreasonable expectations, probably, from all people our age. The minute probably. we heard this announced. Probably. So, I, first off, I'm going to surprise you because I'm going to agree with what you guys just said. Because um, it's, it's um, I like this movie, but um, I just watched it for the second time in a, in a year. So, obviously, I'm not blown away by it either. Um it does have a lot of saving graces and it, it's a thin line to walk. Cause I know Rye Bones mentions a lot that he felt it should have been like rated R and you would have took away. I mean, these books are ki- what kids grew up on. And so it should yeah. not be rated R. If you rate it R, the movie dies right there. With yeah. It, and, with yeah. And I'm, not, I'm not a person who has to have so R rating. It's a tough story. line. And I think like you guys said, it's just like, these are simple stories. Uh, most of them are, are, well, the whole, the whole book series is all folklore. Um, it could have been something as simple as they went. The beginning could have been the same. They get locked in the haunted house and they're telling stories. Uh, there is a lot of cool stuff that I noticed this time around with like the, there was a girl that walks through that has a red ribbon on her neck and uh, some throwbacks to other stories. Um, I, it's still an enjoyable movie though. So it's not, it's, it's sure. not a bad movie either. Definitely. Um, yeah. It has a really cool tone, um, especially for being directed to kids. And I think because of the weird, line because sometimes it does get a little bit more adult and then um and then and then it's like they try to reel it back in for the for the for trying to keep it to family one thing that did bother me is why did they have old bad old woman makeup on the one actress instead of just casting an old woman yeah i don't know that bothered me so bad 
I don't know because I will say uh, something that's cool is uh, is the uh, Mr. uh, Mr. Jingles, Mr. Jingles, whatever his name is. Um, That's actually that's actually a a contortionist. (laughs) So uh, all the body twisting and stuff is not CGI. Yeah, that's Um, really cool. I think they did CGI with the face, but that was it. And that was creepy as shit. Yeah, the it was really weird cool. when they had like that old woman in a beard playing the dad, uh, and he was upstairs. <laughs> that was the other movie. Oh, my bad. My I bad. do. Uh, <laughs> I can't think of the name of it. It might be. It's it's related to the Red Room, but the because because I think the scariest thing of scary stories is the the illustrations. Yeah, when I was a kid, those illustrations in the book scared the dog shit out so of me. So I love the that they, they kept that character almost straight out of the book. And and Harold always um, doesn't quite look Harold like the, the illustration of the book, but Harold was really creepy too. Harold the dog the baby. I think, uh, I think an important thing for me to point out is the fact I am 42 years old. So I'm not exactly the target audience either. But, and again, but, that's not saying I didn't like this movie because I did we, like the movie. But, we kind of but I bet you if I showed it to my 12-year-old son, this would be a, a launching point for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the line. It had a, it had a difficult line because um, you have to make kids like it now, but then the kids that grew up on it. Um, so I think they like uh, – I think, I think probably all the kids our age are not going to hate on this movie. Especially if they have families, because there is worse family movies you have to watch for Halloween. Sure. Um, but I even said uh, this came out like uh, almost a whole year ago, right? Last August. So it's a little strange. If they would, I think, even open it up um, like uh, right in maybe the beginning of October, and we went and saw this in October, I think we would have left the theater feeling a little differently, anyways. I think you're right. Probably right. Grizz, did you have anything about this before we go on for another hour? Well, thank you, Vinny, for giving me a chance. <laughs> Long-time listener, first-time caller. Wow. Uh, you know what? I'll tell you this right off the top. This film, the, the biggest takeaway from this film that has enriched my life wholly is that uh, they put Donovan's Season of the Witch on the soundtrack. <laughs> and I, I, I was not entirely familiar with that song. And over the past year, it has become one of my favorite songs of all time. <laughs> I'm dead on jam. That song is a banger. So, uh, um, yeah, uh, I was just trying to look over my notes. Um, yes, I loved uh, the dude getting killed by the scarecrow, Tommy getting killed. Uh, how scary was that? That weird white, big old lady thing that just kept like appearing? oh, in the hospital, yes, yeah, that's the red room, yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> uh, some say scary, some say hot. <laughs> <laughs> This it definitely had some great scary imagery, like the yeah. scarecrow, just the way it moved. Like, mm-hmm. like I say, when I don't think I was the target audience. But there's some great shit about it. When they're in the original house and the kid opens that door and there's just that old woman and that dog in there, that was very <laughs> effective, very creepy. Definitely. Um, Todd, you wanna you wanna hit us with the ending? Um, so uh, a few of our few of our uh, actually, I think only three people survive their stories. Um, I do have to say too, because the spider one I think is always uh, always thought of, anyways. Because some of these I've forgotten about. Um, the scarecrow, 
um, the um, I can't even think of the song because they played the song a few times in the uh, in the movie. Oh, is the hearse song. Is it the hearse song or was it the 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 when you die or something? It's the hearse song. Um, <laughs> okay, that's weird not creepy at all. Weird, weird flex, Benny. I <laughs> uh, assert dominance. Okay, well, <laughs> give me some ice. So, uh, anyways, uh, a few of the characters don't don't make it, and uh, they end up. Um, is it they just finished? And I don't know. I'm trying to think how it ends myself. I'm like, um, if you pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> oh god, Vinny's dying. I just destroyed my home. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I was completely done. Anyways, uh, so we end the movie where, um, um, and I'm trying to think of characters' names. I'm horrible. But uh, we have the, the draft dodger going off to uh, Vietnam. And, uh, and then the, the sister and the uh, main character and her dad are, uh, I guess, moving and they're going to figure out what happened to, uh, to their lost friends. So it's the sister of the boy who got drugged under the bed from the Big Toe story. No, his, his yes. her brother was the one that picked out Doo Doo. You're right. The, to, the toe liked her. Yes. So the sister, we left that story out completely. She had, she thought she had a pimple, and it was a bunch of a nest of spiders growing under her skin. That was nasty. Has Vinny been falling for ten straight? Days? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. He's in zero gravity. <laughs> <laughs> we have a podcast to record here, gentlemen. <laughs> yes, spiders in the face. Spiders in the face. Very creepy. Very creepy. And actually, the CGI spiders didn't look awful because they didn't focus on them for too long. Yeah. Like, the yeah, moment they, they burst out of the skin, they kind of pan back, and you're not forced to look at awful CGI spiders. So I thought that was done pretty well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it comes to a close where, you know, they go back to the old house, and they finally find out that uh, Sarah Bellows was abused by her family. And and they kept locking her up because she knew their secret about how they were poisoning the town's water because they were wealthy business owners. Imagine that. Go and uh, what the hell's the EPA? Yeah, right. And um, but she let it ruin her. Like she let it make her bitter and mean. And so, like Stella, our young protagonist, is trying to say, "You cannot be." A witch, like you cannot kill people, you know, like just because you were abused doesn't mean you have to do that to others. Yeah. And so you that's when developed, man. <laughs> yeah, right. And so uh, that's when she gives her the book, tells her, you know, she can write the her name in blood and, and write the story in. And so, as Toddy said, it ends. They're going to find their friends because they think that they're trapped somewhere within the stories. They can find them, and it's it's really a big setup for a sequel. I mean, I know Todd's about to tell us he would love a sequel, but it's they a big one in production. Do they? Yeah. I was, I was gonna say it's 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 a soft pitch for a sequel. Like, I mean, they're like, yeah. here you go, hit it out of the park if you want to. So I bet they wrote it that way. It could end that way. I'm trying to get the cat. Or uh, <laughs> it could end that way. Or. Um, you know they could roll it. They could leave. It, they could roll into a sequel. Benny and Trevor. Yeah. 
And just one more thing I want to clarify. I went into this kind of apprehensive just because of how much I love the books like so many of us did at a younger age. But the thing I expected to complain the most about were going to be the creatures and the ghosts and all of the, the designs with it. And I had no zero issue with it. I thought they did wonderful uh, which each, with each thing that we encountered, whether it was uh, practical or CG, I thought that they, they did a really good job with its presentation. And I thought that was going to be their biggest hurdle to clear. And I thought they did it. Yeah, they did it really well. All right. Well, that wraps up Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Let's roll into my pick, which was... The Taking of Deborah Logan. Toddy, dates and details. 2014. Uh, this film starring Jill Larson, Anne Rouncey, Michelle Amy, and uh, written and directed by Adam Robitel. Adam Robitel, yeah. Sure. Um, I chose this one. I watched it for the first time about a month ago, uh, I had a friend, a uh, friend of the show, uh, Kyle Putra, who had recommended this to me a lot. And I'd always seen it. It was like, it's been on Netflix forever. And of course now it's not, it's on Amazon or something. Um, but I was like, Oh, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And I watched it and I, I really enjoyed it. And so, um, I thought I, I should recommend this for the show. And that's what I did. So this was my second viewing. Uh, this is my first time viewing, and uh, I'd heard a little bit about it, uh, in particular, uh, one very infamous thing attached to the film, um, but I had not seen it. This is the first time viewing for me. This is the first time viewing for me as well. Uh, first time for me, and uh, as soon as the movie started, I was like, whoa, no surprise, it's a found footage film. I see why I haven't <laughs> picked it. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Can I say? True story. Um, so, brief synopsis. Um, this crew from a university is uh, wanting to make a documentary. Uh, she's doing a study on Alzheimer's. And so, it's the film is a mockumentary. And, um, well, mockumentary and docudrama. It's not Are they making fun of them? <laughs> no, it's just a <laughs> fake documentary. It's a mock Umentary. You jump to a conclusion. And um, <laughs> so they, they go out and it's kind of this weird eccentric daughter and she wants to let him film her mom so that they can get money to save the farmhouse. Um, the mom is a very prim and proper older woman, very proud. And at first she doesn't want to do it, but then she relents. And so basically, you know, it's they're giving you the whole Alzheimer's bit but increasingly things get stranger. And so it's like she's threatening them with knives. She's like tearing at her own skin. And they get like this weird video where she it's like standing in front of her kitchen counter. And then she's standing on her kitchen counter and there's like no lapse in time. It's not like she went and got a chair. Like it's super weird and it starts weirding people out. And uh, so that's kind of the setup is that this, um, this thing that was just supposed to be about Alzheimer's, which for all intents and purposes for half the film can be uh, really gets stranger. And, um, 
and yeah, so there's there's the setup. And so I obviously chose the film because I liked it the first time around, and I, I, I really had never heard anyone else but my friend Kyle talk about it, and so I thought it was worth a shot. What uh, what are your all's opening impressions? Um, I think that it had some interesting elements. I like that it starts with serious subject matter because it gets your attention. Um, it's not kind of run-of-the-mill fodder that you usually have um, in these kind of approaches to it. Uh, my my main thing with it is I wish that they wouldn't have aimed for the documentary style and just shot this straight up. Um, I thought that the storyline and especially where they go in terms of local crime history uh, start started to become a pretty compelling uh, branch off the, on, you know, on the journey with the narrative that they choose. And so I felt like, there was enough quality put to it that we didn't need to go for just the, the leanest uh, option in terms of presentation, but maybe that's just budgetary restriction, but probably um, I, I think that a lot of the film is derivative, but there's one scene at the end. Um, and sometimes that's all you need to make a horror movie memorable and kind of stay in the lexicon and, this certainly has it, which we'll get to, I'm sure. But um, sure, because yeah, overall, you could just it. you could just write this off as another uh, what Amer- last exorcism, you know, something along those lines. You, yeah, you're right. I mean, in, until you get to what really the twist is that makes it unique. Yeah, um, yeah. Venomous one. Um, I'm not a big fan of found footage. What? Period. <laughs> yeah, so I was not excited when I saw that's what I was in for. Um, as a whole, with this movie, it felt rather derivative to me. I felt like I had seen this movie a bunch of other times. Uh, the subject matter did draw me in initially, uh, especially because I have dealt within the family with dementia and that type of thing with a loved one. So that kind of drew me in in the beginning that faded fairly quickly for me. Once we started getting into the body of the movie, I just didn't feel like it really gave enough of a fresh take to make it memorable to me in the long run. I've, it's not a bad movie. Don't get me wrong. I've seen a lot of bad movies. It's not a bad movie. I'm going to stop you there. You've, I, already, you've already offended me. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm not done offending you yet, but I'll do that later. Go. Um, so uh, I, don't, I don't think I knew anything about this movie. I do remember, um, I remember the box art. Um, I think uh, having the subject matter that it did make, made it a little bit more unique for this kind of movie. In my opinion, uh, especially horror movies, you generally don't get. Uh, I mean, usually horror movies anymore, and and always have always been about a twenty-year-old kid or younger. Um, so the fact that the main subject matter is a is an older woman. Um, found footage to me is just hit or miss. To be honest, I I completely like as I was watching, I thought the same thing. Like they should have just made a movie of this, um, but. Uh, I don't know some of the stuff like the where she 
all of a sudden is up on the counter. Like that kind of made it unique. Um, the whatever was knocking on out the outside of the window. And then you saw these weird paintings with like a shadow man uh, outside in the garden. Um, this one was just hit or miss uh, uh, the, why I watched it. Like I would get into it and it would lose me a little bit and uh, I would do some stuff to pull me back in. So um, I just, I thought at the end it was just oh, okay. But um, uh, every time I would definitely lose interest, they, they did reel you back in. So that was kind of good of them. Because uh, uh, I think if not, I would have been checked out early on. Um, and there was actually some, um, a couple moments that I actually kind of thought were kind of creepy and uh, almost scary. So um, it's not a, a bad movie at all. Uh, just not great. I don't know if, if, if I, like I said, found footage to me has to be an outstanding movie um, or, or it's already going to kind of lose me. So that's fair. Um, so basically the story turns about halfway and you realize something more supernatural is going on and you start learning this backstory about this guy who lived in the area. He was uh, a physician. He was like French Canadian and he was played by anybody? Celine Dion's husband. <laughs> yes. Anybody? He looked a whole lot like Michael Caine to me. Michael Caine? <laughs> yeah, really? I mean, wasn't that him? Can you back me up on that? That was not Michael Caine. I, th I think it was Michael Caine. Yes. He would have been top billed all over this thing. <laughs> He was only, he was only, he was fifth build in Jaws 4. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Jaws 4, but I've seen the house it built. Um, so, uh, anyways, this guy was like running off the rails and he was abducting and murdering girls because he was kind of possessed by like this ritual that the Native Americans had done in that area. And so there's like all this snake imagery and you get lots of snakes through the movies. And his original plan was to kill the daughter of this woman, this old lady, as like the ninth victim to, to finish the ritual. And so she and another neighbor killed him and buried him. Uh, and to, to, kept his metal call in their boiler room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And so basically it's, it's the evil spirits that were possessing him starting to possess her from the, you know, from whatever fucking netherworld you want to talk about. And now she is trying to kidnap another child uh, from the hospital to take her out to kill her to finish the ritual for this dark entity that has possessed her. So it moves from a medical film to a supernatural possession film. And, uh, the title is totally misleading, The Taking of Deborah Logan, right? Who would have ever thought that was coming? Um, so they end up with this very dramatic chase out into these cave systems underneath this old mill. And, uh, yeah, anybody want to say anything before I hit the big reveal button? It's all about the reveal. Well, I'm, I'm wondering if I'm watching a found footage movie with Vinny up here. Uh, you okay, buddy? <laughs> This is your third location? <laughs> yes. We've had technical difficulties tonight. Um, so she and uh, the daughter and the, the filmmaker are looking for the mother. 
the mother has already killed uh, or has wounded one officer and killed another. And um, they find her and they're trying to talk some sense into her. And they come around a corner and the mom has unhinged her jaw like a snake and is starting to eat this child. And if any of the creep factor, there's been plenty of creep factor leading up to this stuff that makes you uneasy stuff. You're like, Ooh, I don't know. I don't like that. But then you come around the corner and you're like, what the fuck? No, no. Uh, 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 uh. This mom is eating the, the kid like a, a snake. Can we pause right there though too? Has this whole episode been to fuck with each other? Cause as soon as the snakes came on, I was like, Ooh, the professor's going to love this movie. <laughs> yeah, I was not too happy when they started digging the snakes up. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> That's all we do now for the MASH episodes <laughs> is troll each other. Uh, so how do y'all feel about How'd y'all feel about that scene? I had seen that scene online completely out of context. Like, people had shared it, like, clips of it I had seen shared as, like, paranormal footage and shit like that so like it was once, real. What, yeah when i saw it come up I was like oh wait i've seen that but okay no it was it was a rather unsettling it is a very cool effect um especially given that nearly everything else you've seen because it's found, found footage is so completely grounded in reality so it's extra shocking when you see that because it's so abnormal. No, that, that scene was absolutely very effective. Usually, if a filmmaker was trying to achieve what they achieved there, it comes off looking ridiculous. Um, usually with CG and, and just uh, is disappointing. And this is the opposite, man. This packs a punch. Um, I At this point with the movie, I was just like, yeah, this is fine, but I've seen this movie. That, that flipped it around. Um, like I said, sometimes a movie doesn't have to be good. It just needs to have that one scene. And this movie is fine, but that thing, that scene is, is really impressive. I mean, they did it so well. I mean, it looks like you are actually watching that happening. It doesn't look like a gimmick and it is, it's pretty jarring. And one thing I do want to point out, um, is that something I feel like we've glossed over is the acting in this specifically from the mother and daughter are really good. Um, I agree. They far exceed the performances you usually get in movies of this variety. Um, I could have done without the documentary crew and their, their drama that you get in every single movie. Um, I thought that that was a little tired, but the, the performance, um, I, I hate to, to be dramatic, but I feel like the performance from the mom was pretty brave. Um, that was not an easy thing to portray, especially in what I'm sure a lot of older actors would view as run-of-the-mill horror. And she gave it, man. She brought it. And the daughter, I thought, did a really good job as well, which she's more of a familiar face from movies. But I thought those two specifically uh, raised the bar on, on comparing it to other films. Okay. Well, uh, they end up burning the body of the previously possessed weird French pedo guy. And that kind of breaks the spell and the curse. And um, the mom goes on to die. 
but the little girl goes on and she beats cancer because that's why she was in the hospital where the mom was. But then at the end, you get this, you know, they're, they're interviewing her and she's, she's brave because she overcame this weird shit with the old lady, but then she's also beat her cancer. And, you know, they're interviewing her for a news story. And this is what you be when you grow up. And she's like, oh, I don't know. And then she looks at the camera and gives like this real evil look as though maybe the ritual had completed itself. Which I didn't need. It was kind of like thriller. It's just like, I already had fun. I didn't need that. Yeah. Agreed. <clears throat> the taking of Deborah Logan! <laughs> Any other thoughts? I thought, we, I thought we was watching the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, clearly you guys hated my pick. Let's roll on to the next one. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, didn't I hate said it. said like 10 nice things about it. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I thought it was a good movie. I didn't think it was a great movie. Uh, here at camp, I would like each of us to go around the fire and say one nice thing about each person. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on to... Um, we say this for the last, folks, because it, it, it even though it's a 10-year-old it's a movie, it kind of has some spoiler stuff to where if you're going to check it out, check it out before you listen to this. But it is the cabin in the woods. It, it's got a unique twist and take on things. And so seriously, do yourself a favor and stop listening if you haven't seen it. If you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, uh, carry on. So the cabin in the woods. Toddy, dates and details. Oh, cabin in the woods, 2011. Starring Kristen Conley, Chris Hemsworth, Fran Krantz, Jess, Jesse Williams, Anna Hutchinson, um, Bradley Winford, Brian White, uh, Richard Jenkins, directed and uh, co-written by Drew Goddard, and also co-written by um, Josh Whedon. Um, Joss or his brother Josh? Joss. Okay. Um, and I think this was Chris Hemsworth, like one of his first movies, but uh, this totally came out after Thor. So right. Chris Hemsworth, was, not familiar. Filmed before Thor, released after Thor. And I'm like, what's Thor doing in this movie? So, yeah, I think this movie was probably, like, 2007, 2008-ish. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the studio that made it uh, went under. And I think that was, like, the biggest reason uh, it just sat on the shelf, so. Yeah. Which is weird, because uh, it's kind of like uh, when it came out, it was popular, and... Uh, uh, kind of has that scream throwback because uh, it's it kind of uh, acknowledges all the, the the tropes of horror films and um, it's definitely marketed just right because as soon as you start watching the movie you're like what's going on <laughs> um, so all right professor this was your pick tell us why you picked it um, I just think it's a rare example in recent memory where a big-time mainstream movie was made that brought it. And I feel like it can, you know, at, at face value, it might even be dismissible for some, and I think that's a mistake. I just think um, it, it was almost, although it was loved and celebrated by a lot, I still feel like it was undervalued in many ways. And so I just thought it was ripe for a revisit. Uh, this is probably my third or fourth viewing. Have you guys uh, seen this one before? Do you think it brought it like the Bring It On movies did? I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Uh, this is probably my third or fourth viewing as well. Second viewing. First one was in the theater. Uh, it's been a while since I watched it because uh, it seems to always be on TV, but always toward the end. Or uh, I don't. I want to watch it completely, but I saw it in theater. I've seen it a handful of uh, times. Um, especially after I first watched it, I, I was eager to watch it again just because of all the, especially toward the end when they're underground, all the stuff that you you just you kind of almost have to watch this movie again to catch everything. So. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the movie opens uh, with a couple of engineers in an underground laboratory, and they're discussing plans for a ritual affair uh, with their dog that's also in the laboratory with them. <laughs> here. Um, I hear the howling. They're talking about a similar ritual that failed in Stockholm, so we instantly know this is something of a larger scale. Um, we then have it's, that. It's definitely great... a cold open, for sure. Yes, and especially with the credits that rip right onto the screen and the big red font, and it just kind of lets you know, like, we're going to have a good time. Um, it then jumps over to five American college students uh, in just touching on all kinds of common cliches you see in horror films <laughs> um, with the certain kind of stereotypes, archetypes. Yeah, and sending them out for what you would expect, a weekend of debauchery out in the woods camping. Um, Ultimately, we see and learn pretty quickly that the cabin in the area they are going to is controlled by the engineers that we saw at the beginning of the movie. Um, they are manipulating situations, stuff like pumping gas out in the woods to control their libido and get them horny. Um, and it's it instantly has flipped everything on its head. You know that you're not just in for the typical thing that maybe you thought you were going to see based on the way it was sold to you. Um, Wait, this isn't the one where they get that disease out of the cabin from <laughs> drinking the water and that kid bites him at the general store? I thought we was watching Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... <laughs> I forgot I'm not allowed to interrupt you during synopsis. Yeah, you, you, then we start getting into Suspiria territory again. Uh, so we get out there and, and in a lot of ways you got very similar things to evil dead. They end up in the cellar of this, uh, cabin that they're staying at and they start finding all kinds of items down there. And as you'd expect, they find a diary and of course begin reciting incantations, uh, which then brings out the fun. And we've got a zombie family that lived there generations ago and the attacks begin and kind of pause there because it's it this is really kind of just a two act film uh we build up with the common stuff and then we flip the switch what do you guys think about kind of the mood it sets and where it lands up to that point so you you left out that it's a redneck zombie family inbred inbred redneck. zombie redneck so. gotcha <laughs> Uh, <laughs> this is electric. What do you guys think about the setup? Vinny, are you alive up there? Alive and kicking, bud. <laughs> well, you got the car running and a hose in there, or what? <laughs> I put myself out of my misery. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, Vinny's pulled a midsummer. Um, so, yeah, like. It's you. You watch the typical setup. You know, again, we got the cold open, and you're like, "Well, I don't know what the fuck that was about." 
And then, like, you see the stereotypes, and I go, okay, I get it. But then there's, like, this, this like, everything changes um, when they drive the RV through this tunnel, through the mountain, and you pan in on this hawk, like, flying in, and then all of a sudden this hawk just hits, like, a grid, like the Truman Show, right? Like this bubble, and it falls, and you're like, what the fuck is this? Like you really like that's when the real confusion sets in because you you you've seen this separate office thing, kids going to the cabin, and then when that bird hits that bubble, that's when everything changes to me. Like that's when you're like, this is not the movie I was expecting, and yeah. then you jump into they've got an office pool, like they're they're gambling on what which curse they're going to unlock and unleash on them and it's fun and silly um and uh yeah so the scene with the cursed objects is a lot of fun where they're like picking up the different things and they're all watching like oh oh uh uh <laughs> you know yeah so yeah no it's a really unique setup i, I think it's yeah. really really smart that uh Early on in the, because because it was definitely marketed as like an Evil Dead movie, um, or just like you know kids out in the woods. So I think it's a uh, <laughs> really smart that uh, early on in the movie uh, that it just starts out with uh, uh, you know the the scientists or whatever they are uh, instead of like you know beating around the bush. Um, kind of agree with everything that you said on. I, I th one of the things that really uh, caught my attention right away is when. Uh, uh, we're not the only place that does uh, does this, so it, it's like over in Japan, and they have like uh, kind of like the ring, um, or like Juwan, or like one of those like ghosts, and it's like a bunch of school kids. Uh, and so, uh, let me build upon that before you leave it. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is when so all so they're seeing this happening in different countries, and they're getting pissed off because their department is screwing up, and and the people are surviving and beating the curses, and the, the kids the kids are holding hands and singing around the Japanese ghost and it makes it go away. And the guy in the office says, yeah, like these fucking amateurs, they screwed it up. These kids sing What a Friend We Have in Shinto and they defeat the ghost. <laughs> That's a church reference for some of y'all who don't get that. <laughs> so so yeah, we, go ahead, Todd, finish your thought. Oh, well, it's gone now. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, well, they, they mentioned that, that, that Japan failing means America is the last hope. And so you know that they're really fixated on our group now and achieving whatever it is that we're now beginning to see uh, playing out. So as you mentioned, um, they, they, the group tries to flee after the redneck hillbilly zombie family. Did I get that right? Inbred. Uh, inbred. Zombie family. Uh, starts to attack them they of course flee we we eventually start to get them um picked off one by one the girl is beheaded by the zombies the guy is attacked another one is drug off and we presume he's dead uh at one point also but they also try and flee from there and the tunnel collapses and then chris hemsworth tries to jump a ravine <laughs> to try and go get help and hits the force field, uh, which is yep. yeah, quite an entertaining moment. Uh, but basically, 
it's a lot of the things you would expect. The chaos unfolds there until we find an elevator that goes down from the cabin. And that is where the big reveal uh, connects the, the dueling stories that we've been watching because they're, they've got the whole setup underneath there. They're controlling everything underground. And we, we go on to learn, not for starters, uh, every object in the basement was tied to a different option for what they could unleash based on it's like what a they choose your own adventure. With. Yeah. A lot of Jumanji uh, in this, but we also, as we go down in the elevator, we see that they have everything imaginable housed down there. Uh, kind of, you know, anything from werewolves to knockoffs on Pinhead. Um, at one point we even see a, an impalement uh, from a unicorn. So all <laughs> options are controlled down here in these boxes. And basically we find ourselves at the big showdown with the, uh, the master. I can't remember the actual term, but we'll just go with that. Uh, played by Sigourney Weaver, uh, which is quite a fun surprise. And she explains that the, I think it's five people have to be sacrificed to these subterranean deities. And so they are presented with the option of one of them has to kill the other, the two that we've ended up down there with. And, um, Ultimately, they decide that humanity is not worth saving. Sigourney Weaver is killed. They sit down and smoke a joint, and we watch everything get tore up. Uh, the cabin where we were is getting leveled. Uh, the underground area that they're in is just being destroyed. And so it, it, it never goes small. It keeps getting bigger and bigger and, and grand in its approach. Uh, but the thing that I think I respect the most about this movie is that it doesn't sacrifice the horror. It's still got some very striking imagery. Um, most notably that hallway that is just covered in blood that they keep finding themselves in. Um, but I just, I think it, overall it's a really fun movie. Yeah, I can, I concur. <laughs> uh, I, I'm glad that Benny mentioned choose your own adventure because that would be a cool, uh, cool alternate uh, version would be if you could have like they could have picked something different uh each each item would have been a f cool little thing um another cool version of the movie would be if they took out all of the the underground bunker stuff and uh and only had like what they were seeing up top um but yeah this is uh i think of it's it's a, a especially with a lot of like um scream and stuff like that where it's just a lot of movie references Love this one took it to a whole other level because uh, the only thing that would make this movie cooler was if they could have actually got away with just doing like the box from Hellraiser and actually having Pinhead and so um, because of rights they did the best they could on all the um, I think you get with what they're going with um, sure. on all the stuff that they use so um, yeah I think they uh, they took a, the the me the meta thing and um, and one upped it so. Yeah, and you conveniently, and Sigourney Weaver mentions it, you have, like, the jock, the stoner, the bimbo, <laughs> the strong girl. I mean, it's, it's all by design. It's, it's very self-aware and fun, especially for horror fans. Um, I do I do love, too, that the this, this stoner is, whatever he's smoking is actually, he's the only one that is, like, not buying into to what's going on. It's making him immune to it. Yep. Um, so I want to 
I want to say one of my other favorite parts is that the one of the main guys running it, he's like, oh, damn it, I just want to see a merman. Like the whole time he's hoping to see the merman and he gets killed by a merman in all the chaos. And he's like, oh, come on. That was fun. Um, I don't want to be a wet blanket here, but this is a fun concept. And the, the movie's fun enough, but I'm I'm just not crazy about the movie. Like something about it, like I said, I've watched it three or four times, and it's kind of like, and this is this is what was surprising to me because I like because it's a meta movie, right? And other meta movies are like Behind the Mask with Leslie Vernon, and so like the first time I watched Behind the Mask, I was nuts about it. I loved it, but every time I watch it since then, it gets a little more boring to me. And this movie, I'm not saying it gets boring to me. It just kind of is not as magical to me as it was the first time around. And I'm just being honest there. So, I, like I said, I think everyone should watch it. I don't think it's a bad movie. But um, this, I, th- I think the fun around it is the concept, but the story is not super enticing. Is it because it's not found footage? Well, that's probably part of it, and there's not a if, if there were more hillbilly zombies, I know, like probably be more. This is like the second time like there's hillbillies in a movie, and you don't like it. <laughs> I may be I may be breaking my my trend. I might be picking up a new thing. I don't know. I might like snake movies more. I don't know. But anyway, you think? When I saw this movie in the theater, it completely caught me off guard. I had no idea what I was going in for, and I was pleasantly surprised by it and what they did. I'm not any different this time, but I will say, knowing the cat's already out of the bag when you watch it a second time. So it does take away something from it when you're already in the know. That being said, though, it because it plays on the tropes and almost pokes fun at them and it almost leads you to believe in a way they insinuate that all of these horror movies that you have seen over the years that have this formula were controlled by these people by invoking the Hellraiser and the werewolves and the different creatures like the that. clowns and the strangers yeah. and yeah, yeah. And the so I really, I really like the concept of the whole thing. I don't know that I ever want to see a sequel. Because, like I said, the cat's out of the bag, so well, I don't know that. You well, I don't know what you would know, do. I don't know that. I don't know that you could get the same feeling out of it for a second movie. I did like it because it did take all of those things and all those tropes, and it kind of flipped it on its head, and it gave you a new perspective on it. And so, all in all, I really enjoyed the movie. It's not one of my favorite horror movies of all time, but I do like it. Uh, but I will say there is something that diminishes with each watch. Yeah, I think uh, one of its saving graces is that we don't go too deep and big once we do the reveal, uh, because you would have to start teetering into hour 45, two hour, two plus hour movie. And I think that why it still remains rewatchable for me is that they keep it slick. They don't dwell on anything, and they they give you just enough to kind of wet your whistle, start your imagination, and they don't exploit it endlessly. You just you get these little tastes of it. It reminds me of uh, older horror movies um, where we would kind of parade out something towards the end, but not stay there too long. It would give you enough to satisfy what you know you would kind of build up to, and I respect it for that. 
I think uh, among many of its peers, they would have drugged this out into a two-hour movie. Agreed. Because it is like a tight 90, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and so that's, to me, that's instant rewatchability. If I like a movie yeah. and it's 90 minutes, I'll watch it multiple times. Even Definitely. if I'm not like nuts about it, even if it's not my favorite, if, there, it's, if it's good in 90 minutes, I'll watch it. There is a, a midsummer director's cut that's six hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it comes with a bear suit for you to set yourself on fire. <laughs> so, all in all, you know, I would recommend this movie if you haven't seen sure. it. Sure. By all means, if you're, if you're a horror fan, you got to watch this movie. It's smarter it's than it gives off the appearance. Yes. Yes. And not only that, the humor and the horror is seamless. Yeah. Yeah. Which sometimes you either get too much of one or the other. Yep. Good times. Okay. Well, wrapping up another edition of the Monster Mash. I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny. Hot toddy. Stay scary, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>